episode of the Lisa Ann Experience. Proud to be part of the Sirius XM podcast family. And again, recording for you remotely on vacation. This time with better internet, but still not getting a little bit crazy. I'm visiting into the Twitter sphere every here and there. A little bit of Instagram saying hello, but for the most part, been enjoying nature, friends, my West Coast family, and just having a great, great, great time. It's been amazing weather. I am working the base part of my tan will be based in the West Coast, so then I will be getting back to New York to enjoy what I hear is already a really hot summer, and I'm really excited about it. But one of the things I don't get to do often in my normal life is catch up on all the things that everybody else watches and talks about. So I'm usually like pretty behind when it comes to documentaries that like the day they come out everybody watch them listen I did that with the Tiger King it was straight up quarantine there were no choices okay this is what you did I watched it all at one time Aaron Hernandez all at one time but now life has started there's baseball there's basketball there's NFL talk every single day even though the draft is over there's still more and more and more every day we still got NHL little UFC golf tennis so I don't get a chance but I play a little catch-up when I'm with my friends, and we're chilling. So I finally watched the Britney documentary. OMG. I feared away from watching it, but when I was, again, topic from earlier podcasts, when I was putting together my will, the lawyer I was talking with, she had just watched it. She said, you know, it's really important for people to watch and understand uh, what all of that means and what it means when somebody can take control of your money. Uh, I am here to promote the hashtag Free Britney. Uh, it's too bad that this is how this has played out for her. She was such a part of our young pop culture. Uh, her two children are old enough and probably responsible enough as teenagers to start to be able to step into that role. But wow, what a life she's lived and what a situation she's enduring right now. And I think the thought that I have the most is if this was um, an athlete, you know, if we're talking about male, female, if this was an athlete, this was a pop star, I just don't know if the situation would be the same if it wasn't a woman. And now Britney's father is saying that she has dementia. Well, Britney's father really wasn't part of her young life. And I, if you haven't watched this documentary yet, please do understand what we're talking about. But Britney Spears just did so much. And when you look at the doc, and you see how she gets absolutely broken down by the paparazzi over time. At first it's fun, it's cute. Uh, at first it's this. And then you can just see it. As I watched the doc, I was like dying inside because you could just see her face. And that's just the feeling of public suffocation. And any celebrity, anybody who's had people come to them for things unexpectedly, photos on, on random times... It becomes suffocation and you want to just be able to, for her, it was like going to the gas station, getting snacks it was like something she wanted to do. And when you can no longer do those things, what is the point, right? So, okay, Britney doc was good. But while we were trolling for the Britney doc, I see the doc about the teen who hacked Twitter. And I said, as soon as we're done with the Britney doc, we have to watch this because I find this so fascinating because I'd been following the court case and he was just sentenced. So that was even almost more interesting on an elaborate scale because you're going to learn things that you didn't even know were things, okay? With Brittany, we know about her. With this and with how this was working and with Bitcoin being involved and the actual hacking and the and, and the loss of the Bitcoin for the initial owner because it's one of those things that's only password protected, um, fascinating how 
this kid got to keep some of the Bitcoin. He ended up in jail anyway, but like, this leads me to my next series that I started watching. That I started watching last time I was out here that I love, Life After Lockup. So, like, if I had to pick a prisoner that I was going to start writing to, I find this kid, I think he's 19 years old or 20 years old now, uh, the kid who hacked Twitter just to see if he could, um, fascinating. So, like, do you pick your person? Are you afraid to pick that person? Because if it doesn't work out, he's going to hack your life. I mean, if you're going to be on life after lockup, I suggest really scouting out the criminal that you're going to start writing mail to because I feel like some of these people, a lot of armed robbery, a lot of just like nobody crimes, but life after lockup is a ridiculous escape. Just a ridiculous escape. Enjoying that as well. So all this is useless stuff, but I've been enjoying nature, enjoying being surrounded by love because I've spent, you know, this past year working uh, alone, you know, seeing friends, but just a handful of friends. We've been dealing with, you know, quarantine at first and then social distancing and then it was winter. We could only eat outside in New York. So like my social life had been lacking. I am so playing catch up on the social life out here, which is fantastic. I've been loving it. And it looks like when I get back to NYC, we are a full go. I don't know how I feel about that. Can we just, can we just, we, we went from like sitting at the red light to now we're just going to peel out. Now we are just going to peel out, which means back to the Britney thing, public suffocation. I know people will be touching me again. will be asking me for photos. will be forcing me to talk to their friends on their phone. will be annoying me. So I'll probably be staying home, which I'm fine with. I'm excited. It's been a great trip. I have Less than a week left, and when I get back, I have a lot of changes going on. So this hasn't just been a vacation. It's also been a regroup, uh, kind of reposition things in my life and re-challenge myself. So a lot of new things I'm going to bring to everybody, utilizing my social media platforms in a different way, uh, really focusing on current, updated, a lot of YouTube lives I'll be doing when I get back. So I've been doing watching tutorials, um, finishing learning more about editing so I can start putting out more of my own content uh, for all of you out there, and also writing fun lists of questions that I think I will be doing with all of you for a special well, I don't think I know. Starting in June, there'll be 30 days, 30 questions. And I'm going to start them out on YouTube Live first. I'll do one a day. And I've been collecting the questions and from friends, and I have the greatest questions. So it's going to be a kind of get to know me in a different way for the month of June. We're at an in-between. We'll be just wrapping up the NBA finals. We'll be just starting to hear everything going on with NFL camps, getting ready to do all of our mock drafts and our best balls and fantasy football leagues, all of that good stuff. So I thought this would be a fun kind of summer thing to do. Uh, so look forward to that. Today I look forward to bringing you a little blast from my past, a friend of mine of many, many years from the industry who you all know, producer, award-winning director, the one and only Miles Long. Miles, thanks so much for joining us here today on the Lisa Ann Experience. Absolutely. My pleasure. Not every day we get to stay in touch because we're on other sides of the coast now. I know. You're in Las Vegas, which I know you love living there, right? Absolutely. I wouldn't give it up for any place else. I knew this was the place I was going to retire back in 2001. So that's when I bought my first house here. So Miles, I think the big question and everybody outside of the world wants to know is how is the adult industry getting back to producing 
with the new regulations with protocols for COVID? Well, I think there's a couple of factors that have kind of gotten involved with that. One of them is that, you know, as we know, California is not really business friendly, corporation friendly, veteran friendly, adult friendly, gun friendly, just a lot of things friendly. So a lot of production is sort of relocated to other states where people actually want the business and they yeah. encourage people to make money and they they welcome people to pay their you know taxes and stuff like that. So I think that's one of the things that's really kind of affected the transition to other places that are a little bit more friendly to people and business in general. So we have that, you know what I mean? The other thing is, as you well know, we've always been pretty safe. Yes. Self-regulated safe. Self-regulated so, safe, which means testing for STDs and HIV every two weeks. As a performer, you can request an earlier test. If you're shooting a lot, you can go back and test as many times as you want. But it is self-regulated that we all test every other week. And then the other thing is when this started to come about, we also were very proactive in being safe as well. So, you know, we have a testing protocol, which, you know, started out as every 24 hours and sort of became 48 hours. And, you know, these days we are, I think I've had, you know, 66 COVID tests at this point. Right. <laughs> so right. we could say definitely we're very safe. <laughs> Now, how many, you know, when you look at the percentage of the industry of what it was 2019, and then you flash forwarded through that time in 2020, when, yeah, half producers were already living in Vegas and starting to shoot and operate in Vegas, even before all this happened, still some producers. Have you seen uh, more companies, has it streamlined to be a smaller business? Have you seen as many performers actively working right away? Or have you seen a smaller family in the business appear again? I think there's sort of an interesting way of looking at this because, you know, the old business model, when we were actively making movies back, you know, when we were quite a bit younger, not that the, you, you mean in the nineties, when it was actually yeah. like a real movie set. Yeah. <laughs> even though you're even more, more beautiful now than when we first met, uh, <laughs> the, the business model was a big production, a big camera crew, yeah. uh, you know, catering, uh, craft yeah, services, craft services. You know I mean? all of these things yeah, yeah. that would, I, I remember, uh, one time, uh, 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 Michael Nin flew his entire crew to Hungary and we rented a castle and we you shot were part of those big productions. Those right? were those yeah, Michael Nin productions were people don't, will never believe how much money were spent on those productions. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't unheard of to spend quarter million dollars on one movie. He actually moved up here to Vegas. We're still very close friends. Oh, he, that's he, fantastic. You must mentoring. send my love to him. He's yeah. dynamic. I haven't seen him in years. And so, so now what we've seen is a transition to uh, people since they had to stay at home, working on their own content. OnlyFans. Primarily by themselves. And really, uh, by, by no means is OnlyFans the only platform, right? Sure. That, you know, sure, there's tons of sure. fans and these fans and those fans and your website and the Snapchat and the you know all of these different platforms where uh, people were camming or selling their content by themselves and that allowed them to sort of be free of maybe not the yoke of but having to rely on someone else sure. to hire them to make money right and so it's diversified in sort of a very broad sense and there's also if you think about it, there's a lot of people who didn't consider adult previously. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Of, yes. You know, the pandemic and, 
you know, uh, girls who were nightclub hostesses or, you know, day club, you know, wearing, they were used to wearing a bikini or they were adult uh, dancers and stuff. And they were like, well, I don't have to have sex with anybody, but I can still make money somehow and, you know, support my family and pay my rent and stuff. And those people are making content now too. And so I think it's helped the business itself become a little bit more socially acceptable as well. I do too. You know, that was one of the things I noticed when we first started talking about regular um, people, civilians, as we call them in the industry, on OnlyFans. And also, I think it really empowered the talent to run their own businesses and really realize what they had at the access of their phone. You know, it's just given them that it's so empowering, right? You didn't really have to do it before. You could be on set. You could go on the road. You, could, you had all these opportunities. And once you did have those opportunities, you're like, holy shit, I still have a really big opportunity here. And what's going to be interesting is when things are really different, how many of these stars from OnlyFans who were never in the industry will be sought after by the larger companies to shoot them because now they've created their own brand. They have their own fan base. They've built their own thing. And you know, only the strong will survive in this type of a climate because you do have to upload your content. You don't want to have days where there's nothing going on your OnlyFans. So it's the consistent girls and this brings me right down to one of my favorite girls in the business who you recently just shot, and that's Jaden Cole. Oh, girls like Jaden Cole were yeah. going to crush it because she's already so organized and she's so good with her fans and she does really enjoy what she does. She's fantastic. And yeah. we both, her and I both love shooting solos. And I noticed that you've been shooting a lot more pretty girl solos for girls for their only fans and other platforms sure. has it been fun for you to kind of go back to the 90s because remember how many magazine shoots we used to do oh, to promote yeah. a movie on a totally different set than the actual movie that's, that's exactly it and the funny thing is you know I, I came from that glam background so I, I never relied on you know just seeing a gaping hole to make a good picture i right, like right right these glamorous pictures and you know there was a time when all of of my money that I made, this the pie of the money that I made, I made more money from selling photo layouts and pictures than I did from making movies. Right. So it was it was it was a no-brainer to have the opportunity to shoot more of that now and to have uh, girls appreciate me for doing that kind of content, which is not just, you know, their their monetizing platform safe, but it's also transitions extremely well to you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and these social media platforms where, let's face it, they're not as um, adult friendly. So right. if you can make a glamorous picture that still uh, makes somebody want to go someplace else and buy something, you do really well. And it, sure. it was only when I came here to Vegas, oddly enough, that I was able to develop making money outside of adult using this skill of taking a picture to sell something else. It's, it's really funny. When I was in LA, I looked for photography agents because I knew I took a good picture. You and it was have, unique. Yes. It's a different picture than, you know, someone yep. else that maybe yep. we all have a different eye when we're actually behind right? a camera. Right. And nobody gave me the time of day. They all told me, oh, you'll never make it in this business because you shoot porn. Oh, you're going to have to change your name. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. And then when I came to Vegas, People picked up because sex sells here, right? Yes. That's the way that you can get somebody to go to a nightclub and spend $20,000 on a $30 bottle of vodka. Sure. Because the idea that you will be able to see something, do something, be something, 
find women, be able to have a great time if you go there or if you're trying to sell a watch or sure. if you're trying to sell a shotgun also, or if you're trying I to imagine in Vegas for you, there's a lot more talent, not just in the adult industry, but you have performers that do shows. You have so many different uh, people who are using their social media. And I want to go back to something you said, because I have this debate a lot and I want to have this debate with you. So there's a debate in the industry of, you know, we, we, we don't like Instagram because they're censoring our photos. We don't like this and they're not adult friendly. But I think the point that's missed a lot in the industry is there's no age gate on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And so they are becoming distributors of content to minors. Now, you and I know as producers, Miles, that if somebody slipped up, we didn't have an age gate on our site. We distributed product to the wrong place, edited the wrong. We go to fucking jail. Yeah, How is it that Instagram and Twitter, not Facebook, because they don't allow it, but scenes right. on Twitter, I look at that and I think to myself, like, this is a this is a huge issue for parents that just don't realize this content is sure. out there. And every parent I meet, I showed them what's on Twitter so that they are aware. But do you feel it's them discriminating against us? Or do you feel it's them protecting themselves from the liability of knowing that what they're putting out there is going to the average Instagram is 12 to 16 years old following girls? Well, I certainly think you have a point, you know, and and, and I think everybody agrees that we want to keep our children, our minors safe from content that they're not ready to see yet. Right. Yep. And, you know, while Twitter has made some inroads in that, that you can mark your account as sensitive content, which is cool. I think that's important because, you know, even though I'm in this industry, I don't want to see my feet inundated by, you know, stuff being tab A and slot B sure. repeatedly. I want to see other content besides yep. that. Right. Yep. But yep. the the flip side of that is the thing that people have uh, really kind of glommed onto is the disparity in the way that brush is painted on Instagram. Of course, right? of course. If a celebrity if is nobody, standing there naked, it's totally different than one of us standing totally there naked. Totally different than, than Lisa Ann standing there naked. Sure, not sure. If it's Kim itself. Kardashian, it's fine. Yeah, if her nipple's hard, it's fine. If my nipple is hard right? through a t-shirt, that photo is getting removed just because right. my nipple was hard. And I think that's what people have the issue with. If, I agree. If the if the 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 standard is applied broadly and uniformly, no one ever is ever going to complain about what you're doing. It's when it's indiscriminately applied, I favorably to a certain proportion, right? That's where people say discrimination. And it doesn't matter age, sex, race, body type, demographic. You have what to understand, Miles, I'm the person or... that when my friends in the industry are putting out there, oh, my God, my Instagram got deleted again. I'm right. like, yeah, you pretty much show your asshole every day. Like, you just right. can't do yeah. that. Well, and they're like, well, so-and-so can do that. I go, here's the thing. That's how life works. Yeah. Okay, that's just sad. I get it. We all understand the disparities, right? Just what you just yeah. said. Yeah. But at the same time, if you want to keep your follower count and you want yeah. to, and you know Monetize. this is a risk. And you yeah. want to monetize this, but yeah. you better not lose your fucking Instagram every year right. because you you had to keep pushing and pushing. And another thing is people can complain, right? So you yeah. get one person. We know how catty people in the business can be. Sure, sure, sure. They can team up on you at any time and all have their fans reporting you. And next thing you know, you have no idea why you're dead on arrival, but you're dead on arrival and it just sucks. So I look at every photo and think like, there's some photos that maybe I'll put them up on my wall on my OnlyFans, which is a place where, you know, Miles, I'm so fortunate that I've owned so much of my own content that I shot so many solos for my site and so many years in the business that 
I kept organized all of these hard drives. There were times that you're like, what am I ever going to do with this stuff? And, and it's, it's incredible. But you and I have shot together a couple of times. And I was wondering if you remember any stories from me on set. I, I always like to know like what, what happened that you, what was your big takeaway from a day that maybe I didn't notice? Well, funny, funny enough, right? <laughs> this I could be good. I already got a laugh out of you. All right. This is good. <laughs> so I, I remember when we were shooting our very upscale feature movie called The Cougar Club. And uh-huh. you were, I think, your number two, right? Uh-huh. Um, Was this for uh, Renee at New Sensations or Wicked? No. This is for third degree zero tolerance. Third right? degree zero tolerance. Even better, my favorite people ever. I shot so much for you guys. Yes, yes, yes. I, I rented this very opulent house that had a lot of Rococo decorations and this grand piano. And then I had, uh, I believe it was James Dean and put rented, you know. It was, suit. I wore a black dress. I remember right, now. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Dress. It was yes. like playing the piano and then you guys had that. And then we were just kind of chatting to catch up at the beginning time. And you were mentioning that you were um, getting ready at one point to start doing anal. So the best thing for you to do was like, you know, cook a nice dinner and invite a gentleman male performers over to my house. Yeah. That knew what he was doing. And then, right. you know, take your time to try and enjoy it in your personal life. Right. Which I, I didn't want to do on set first. Right. I just didn't want to do that. And, you know, have, have the pressure. I also the stress, the stress yeah. that I watch so many young women go through. Also, I wanted to enjoy it. Like, I feel yeah. like what I did on camera was so important to be not forced. Right. And I wanted to find that thing in my mind that made me understand when do I want anal sex? How do I like it? How is it supposed, when does it get yeah. enjoyable? Like all those. Yeah. So go on. But it feels good so I can have an orgasm because we want to see that on set. Of course. That's what I always tell young ladies when they first get in the business too. I'm like, no matter what your agent says or your friends say, or the guy who's shooting your content, like don't ever do anything on film that you wouldn't do in your personal life and you enjoy it. Funny story. Jules Jordan got my first DP and it came after going to a youth two concert at the Rose bowl with two guy friends of mine. And we did ecstasy and we sat in hella traffic getting back. And and we decided to try a DP and a limo in the back. It was like such an, and I remember when when we were all done, we didn't know where we were and we're done having sex. We look, we're like, the driver was so nice. He was outside smoking. We were already back at the apartment, but he didn't right. want to throw us out of the car. And when we talked to him about it after, he's like, Who's, I know they lasted 40 minutes. They couldn't last much longer. So I just pulled over in front of the house and waited for you guys to be done. And then I texted Jules and I'm like, so Jules, I just had my first DP in real life and it was fucking amazing. He's like, when can we book it? I'm like, let's, let's get this. Give me a week, you know? So that was how I experienced things. And then I would reach out to producers and say, okay, I just did this in my personal life and I loved it. I'm ready to do it on camera. Yeah, that's so awesome. It yeah. just, it those was are words so much to live by there for everybody the, listening. Those are words to live by. Totally words to live by. And, you know, I think my experience in the business was maybe a little bit different because I've always been more ballsy, right? I don't know if it's from coming from Pennsylvania or being a stripper in the late 80s where girls were a little tougher, um, but I didn't have a problem saying no. And I, and I, girls always ask me like, well, how did you do this? I'm like, just know what you want and definitely know what you don't want. And you know, James Dean, he was a great anal trainer. He came over yep. regularly. Yep. He was yep. so good. You know, that was when we first, when we first met James Dean and Quasar found him as yep. the barista at Starbucks right. to yes. find out he's just a dick on a stick at 18 years old, a milk phenomenon 
had just happened. Like James Dean's career would have been completely different had he come into the business when we were shooting big productions in the 90s. It wasn't really desired to have a young, young guy. You know, they, everybody was kind of equal in age. And, you know, the girl was usually a little bit younger than the guy, right? So James Dean comes in after being a barista at the perfect time at 18 years old. And we worked together for so many years. James Dean helped me. Eric Everhart helped me. I yeah. don't know. You know, I'm so, we're still very close friends. You know, he lives in Eastern Europe now, right? I visit him when I'm there yeah. and we still yeah. talk regularly. He released his book. I had him on the podcast. I love that man. I love Prague. So there's excuse to go and see him in Prague is like the best ever, but we have a lot of people that have started to move around. It's fun to keep in touch and plan little trips to see them. But I think it's really important for talent. You know, there's also things that come along with the business, Miles, that you've witnessed, that I've witnessed, that people don't understand. It's about the lifestyle and not really falling into the lifestyle. When I talk to you about Jaden Cole, she's a girl that just this career provides her with the life that she wants to live and she travels and sees her family and does her thing. She's never fallen into the lifestyle. What advice do you give to girls when you meet newer girls in the business? Because I know I always have listeners that are like, you know, uh, what would I ask? What advice do you give? And and that is the same advice that I've passed on to people because it's very obvious that this job allows me to afford my hobbies. (laughs) Yeah. You like to build cars. You build cars. You have a, you have a music, you have a music business. Okay. So music business that could just, you know, my, all my hobbies. So I always tell people because they ask me, because I've been around a while and they see that. How many years, Miles? 21 years. Okay. 21 years this year. 21 years. All right. Yeah. They say, well, how do you be successful? I'll make it simple. Save your money. Don't buy a Louis Vuitton purse, buy a house. Then we get done buying that house, buy another house. You know, that's literally what I did all my life. I took my money. I sunk it in real estate instead of, you know, now I I can, you know, slowly build and, you know, bikes and cars and stuff that I like because I already have the other stuff. You, you, you can't live off of two, 200 Louis Vuitton purses. You can't. You know? And that's so one it, of the, you know, and we see it. it we, see nice. it we see it. It's so like I used to have girls when I had my agency. Do you remember when I had my I agency, do. Miles? I remember I booking girls all the time. Yes. And we used to do good deals where I'd be like, okay, if you book the whole movie through me, I'll save you on booking fees. Like I was always good with the business because anything, you know, with Greg and the family from Zero Tolerance, remember all of those men I met in the early 90s as they were working for Kenny Garino uh, at Metro. And the fact that, you know, when I returned to the industry in 2005, they pretty much owned everything. And Kenny Garino was like doing his own thing with his stores. I have a connection with them. You know, I really always wanted to. But when I had my agency, girls would sit at my desk and they'd put their Louis Vuitton bag down on this other chair. They'd put their Gucci sunglasses and they'd be like, I can't pay you commission. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know what? How about this? I'll fucking take the bag. Okay. When you want to buy it back. Uh, yeah, I can't pay my pay you my commission because I need to make a lease payment on my Mercedes. That's yeah, of course, <laughs> because I spent all of my other money. You know, financial literacy is probably to me the next step in the missing link in the industry. And I, I realized that it's one of the things we don't really have panels on at AVN or XBiz. And it's something that I'd really like to come back once we're doing group events again and talk about because now it's a different climate. Now maybe we don't want them all to buy houses because let's just say hypothetically speaking, something happens to their health 
and they can't shoot, dance or work. Now they're stuck with a mortgage payment, right? I'm kind of now on the mindset of like, why don't you have this amount aside first, cautiously invested and saved this much liquid, right? You want to have your different lanes, all of this. And then you can start to really think about because it's the payments that the talent gets into that I used to see got them in the biggest trouble. It was just payments. It was like all of a sudden you went from making no money that you've now mortgaged your life. Yeah, but as long as you don't live beyond your means, right? You, you don't try and buy a $2 million house if you're not. You think one of these girls is going to live with lower means? I mean, you know, a lot of them want to buy a house bigger than they really can afford, a car fancier than they can have. But it's 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 an intoxicating amount of money for a young person. You know, before I had my agency, you remember I worked for Derek for a year. And sitting in a room and watching that man manipulate 18-year-olds into believing that they were going to make 20 grand for a month forever. When I knew in 90 days, the work would slow down. Companies would see if their product sold. They would see, you know, it takes time for you. You go through a, a lull, right? And so I'm always at the thought of like, let's just save this first amount first before you even buy anything because you didn't have anything. In the, having money in the bank is just a peace of mind. You know, it's just saying, if I get a bruise and I have to take off of work for two weeks because it's not photogenic, right? All these little things that can go wrong when you're on set, which we've seen all of the variables. Let's talk about your, uh, your, your side action. You've got a music business you all can follow on Twitter at Sites Sounds Incorporated, Inc., Sites Sound Inc. Are you out in Vegas in a studio? Yes, yes. You know, and uh, the nice thing, it was kind of an offshoot of, uh, my very first job when I graduated from college is I was the head of promotions for the Sound Factory in San Francisco. And this is before it was EDM music. We called it house music, you know, so okay. I got to see all of the greats. What coming. years was this? So this is like 90, 91, 92, for example. Okay, okay. And so you're talking about, you know, classics like Crystal Waters, you know what I mean? Uh, seeing Boy George originally come up as a DJ, yeah, things like that. And that was fantastic for me. So that music was always in my blood. And I had maintained some very close connections all these years. And one of my very, very close old friends, um, Chip E, who people refer to as the godfather of house music, because he was the first person to coin the term house. He grew okay. up in Chicago. And, uh, you know, even Carl Cox credits him in his latest uh music documentary what we started with martin garrix and they credit chip and they you know interviewed chip for that as well it's fantastic so we we wanted to kind of move forward on this and because i had done so many billboard campaigns for nightclubs and casinos and stuff and events there as well here in vegas and other places it was sort of a logical transition to yeah open a label to support the kind of music i wanted to listen to Sure. And help promote when DJs came to town and performed. Fantastic. And so that worked out really well. And it's just been something that is a way to give back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's it's nice to see your friends come and DJ. It's nice to see them release their music and and also be part of something you're passionate about. And it's also nice to have a different network, right? I always felt that one of the things that helped me a lot during my time in the industry was I always had different groups of friends outside of the industry that did different things that kept my wheels spinning and, and kept me kind of, yeah, yeah, and kept, of course, yeah. it kept you grounded. Your conversations yeah. with them are so different than your conversations on set. So I think it's great that you have found 
so many different things. And that's the key. You said earlier, this business provides you with the income to be able to do the things you really want to do. That's key. Not that I'm not passionate about this business. Clearly, I love this business and I, I love what I do. And I, you know, it just so happens I, I am good at it. You know what yes, I mean? Yes, you are. But, you are. Uh, it lets me do, it gives me the freedom to be able to do the other things that I'm good at or want to be good at, which is pretty yeah. cool. And you also are uh, playing with some cars out there in Vegas. Yes. I was trolling your timeline. I'm like, I love this shit because it says built, not made. So you're actually building mm-hmm. cars in your free time. Yeah, so I, I I've always been into that. Even when I was in college, I worked at a you know a motorcycle performance shop and and a high end car stereo store. So I maintained those connections all these years. So this is you know going back 35, 40 years now. And uh, so I've been able to build some really unique vehicles myself, um, cars that have gone to uh, insurance company commercials and we're sponsored by car stereo companies. And then, uh, so that's how my, long does it take to do something like that? Like how long is the whole process? That's the labor of love. Let me tell you, cause like my, my supercar, that noble M 400, uh, doing the carbon fiber dash I built myself. I have a hundred hours just doing the dash. Okay. So I would undertake it again. Cause Holy cow, that was a lot of work, but it was worth it. And it looks really unique and it's the only one, you know, but you love so, it. And this is your escape. This is totally your escape. This is your playtime. This is your adult playtime, as I call it. So my my uh, my 2004 Forester is an award-winning car. Won Best Forester at Subi Invasion. It's sponsored by Mishimoto and a, a, a huge number of manufacturers. And so it's it's pretty well known in all of the Subaru groups that are on Facebook and Instagram. So I've been very fortunate with that because people have really kind of believed in my vision for the, for, you know, an older station wagon that's turned into something fantastic. It's uh, so and also fun. My, my job has given me the ability to f- find rare parts, you know, whether they're in Russia or Australia or Germany and, and get them connections. Yeah. And get them and ship them in because they never made those parts for the U S that's so, so wild. I love cool. that you do this and you probably put a lot of extra time into this during the pandemic era when you weren't shooting, when when yep. there was lockdown, right? This was the perfect lock, lockdown activity. It was perfect for me because I had been slowly accumulating all these parts for my 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 bikes and my cars and stuff. And then I was like, oh, well, it looks like I have some time to actually get these projects knocked out. That's not a bad thing. Okay. I know. <laughs> I, I felt the same way. Let me tell you. Time is right. Our most valuable resource. We never have enough of it. And at the very beginning, I remember saying to my best friend, I said, you know, we just got handed a shit ton of time. And I knew I wanted to record my audiobook, which I did in my bedroom closet in my apartment. I just like put up all the foam padding and just sat in there between clothes. Took a month, but I, and I grinded it out. But like, you know, it was a task I probably could have done easier in a studio if I would have not procrastinated. But fuck it, I was like, I just made a list of things that I was like, if you ever had the time, what would you do? And and I kind of banged them all out, made it through all of them, just like you. And it's amazing that you have so many exciting things going on. Who would have thought that you'd have more going on than being a three-time Hall of Fame director? Everybody, make sure you follow my friend Miles at Miles Long for Real Miles. So nice to connect when I come to LA or when I come to Vegas. I mean, Vegas. Jaden. when I yeah. come to visit Jaden in Vegas, who she's coming here to visit me in a couple of weeks, I'm taking us up in a helicopter over the city. 
open door helicopter over oh, the city. Oh, that'll be so cool. For photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I she's coming wait. out here. I'm going to come and visit you. It's been a while since I've been to New York. The last time I went for New Year's Eve. One year. Oh, that's a wild time to be here too. Yeah, Such uh, a fun year. Such a fun time. But I'll make sure we reconnect. I appreciate you sitting down and chatting with me. It's been great to absolutely. know you for 20 some years of our lives. And I'll make sure that we do this again. Thanks, Miles. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. so great for me to get a chance to catch up with those from my past, the wild world that was, that is still part of my life because I kept in touch with some of the greatest people I met along the way. Let's go right here. This is going to be a little bit different. It's a solo dolo mailbag. Are you ready? This is our first question. I'm a super fan and I might be your biggest supporter, LOL. But my question is, Could you see yourself dating someone you met on a social media platform? Hope to communicate with you, but thanks for the opportunity and have a dope-ass day. Thanks, love, Terry. Terry would like me to answer yes, because then Terry would ask me out on a social media platform and would hope that I would be giving him the answer that, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to be with you, Terry. And Terry, though I support the love, stranger danger. Remember something, in five days, I'm turning 49 years old. I've traveled. I have a ton of friends. And so I have to meet people through people. There has to be some vetted situation where I have a point person in case this person may turn into a stalker, serial killer, or any of those things. So with the levels of my, we'll say, we'll call it fame, It is unsafe for me to meet strangers, be alone with strangers, or allow strangers in my space alone. Hashtag stranger danger. So, meeting someone on social media to go out on a date is less than likely at this point, at this age, and where we're at right now. On to the next one. Bob says, what is your favorite sport and favorite team? Bob Favorite sport, no doubt, is basketball. I don't really have a team because I love the sport. Players move around so much. Look, some players have been on three teams already this season. So it's kind of impossible at this point to love a team. So I just love players. I love playing fantasy basketball and basketball DFS. And through Bavada, I love doing NBA sports betting. I don't know if you're into the betting action, but if you are, you should be betting with me. And you can use my promo code at Bavada, which is Lisa250BV. My favorite team, though, in the NFL is the Dallas Cowboys. And the other day, a friend of mine sent me a text after the draft. He's like, yo, your Cowboys look like they should have a really good season this year. I wrote back, yes, as a Cowboys fan, we text each other that every draft since 1995 doesn't seem to matter. Next question. This is a good one. It's me, Jeremy. You're probably the second most famous celebrity to cosplay as Sarah Palin. I don't know why he says probably. I am the second most famous celebrity to cosplay as Sarah Palin. How do you feel about Tina Fey taking the top spot? Do you have some sort of Palin rivalry going on with her? Would you ever consider reaching out to do to some sort of collaboration? A Palin, Palin versus parody, Palin versus Palin parody off to death type of event. Stay spunky. Love, Jeremy. 
Jeremy, I am a huge Tina Fey fan. I don't know if you know this, but she grew up 45 minutes from me. Our birthdays are about seven days apart, okay? Um, I watch 30 Rock over and over. I've read her book. I watch everything she partakes in, whether it's a movie, whether she's producing something. She is absolutely brilliant. And I was lucky enough to read for 30 Rock. Uh, they were doing a role. It's season four. Oh, uh, what season? I think it's season three. Or three. It, the episode is it's season four, episode four, Into the Crevasse. It's the one where Tracy Morgan gets to pretend he's a director and they have a girl come in and play the role. Okay, that girl was supposed to be me. And let me tell you how this played out. I was in Vegas for a trade show and they reached out to me through the company that I shot the 30 Rock parody, which was New Sensations. And I shot a 30 Rock parody. So I was dressed as Tina Fey and then I played Sarah Palin. So it was like parody on parody on parody. And um, what ended up happening was I did the read. The read went great. I actually saved the script piece that they gave me. It's in my scrapbook because it meant so much to me because I was like, oh my God. I'm actually going to meet Tina Fey. This is the most exciting thing in the world. But then again, screeching halt with the brakes. Uh, the business being as bitter and jaded and nasty as the business is. When I did Sarah Palin, you know, one of the things that happened that was not great was the fact that I wasn't as liked in the business. I mean, I got more popular than the business was really happy with. I got more popular than the agents were happy with. I got more popular than everybody was happy with because... I was able to garnish a larger wage, um, a draw a larger crowd. Uh, I also was getting more firm about not doing things I didn't want to do. And so that shoot was one of those like 23-hour out of 24-hour day shoots, which is just a nightmare, and I never wanted to work for that company again. So they did get to read the script, but they went and told, and this was New Sensations, uh, went and told the people that I would not be reliable because I had a drug problem, and they recommended another girl, which was the best friend of the woman that runs the company, and she got to play the role instead of me. Um, I did get to say my piece to Tracy Morgan, and I saw Alec Baldwin at the gym, and I made sure I told them both, please, the last thing I would ever want in my life is for Tina Fey to think that I was a drug addict, or that I was unreliable, or that I wasn't as focused as I am, because I admire her so much, and uh, so that is my Tina Fey story. If our paths ever do cross, I would be honored, and she's just brilliant, so I'm a huge Tina Fey supporter, and I thought it was super cool. She wrote me into a script for a speech that she did for the American Broadcast Association, and she said, um, Lisa Ann might know more about foreign policy than Sarah Palin, but I know more about three ways than both of them, is what Tina Fey said during this speech, which I thought was fantastic. So, love Tina Fey, loved the question. Let's go to the next one. All right, this one I picked specifically for a reason because this conversation came up on my most current where I am right now vacation. To ask Lisa Ann, this is a this this is came in incognito. Uh, how many glory hole scenes have you done in your career, and do you enjoy doing them? Why or why not? This came up in a random conversation, and then a day later, I read this email in the mailbag, and I'm like, okay, you know what? This needs to be talked about. So let's first talk about how it came up in the conversation. We were talking about something, and the glory hole thing came up. We were in the traffic. That's what it was. We were in traffic, talking about truck stops, talking about glory holes, talking about all of this. Okay. 
And I explained that this is very popular, that I did a lot of research. And the reason I did a lot of research is because I got asked to do a glory hole scene. And you have to remember, when the internet started to take over, as a popular performer, every day I was getting phone calls, text messages, and emails that were explaining a type of a scene that was happening that they were explaining to me was real, and I just thought that they were making up niches for the internet. I was like, okay, we need to feed all these niches, and this isn't, this can't be real. Like, people don't really do this. This isn't real. So I did research. And I, of course, did too much research. Then when I actually showed up on the set and saw this room where I was in this, like, wooden box, and the guys were on the exterior, and they were in their own little wooden boxes, and there was, like, cameras on top of them to get, like, the POV. But the set wasn't really built well, and the wood holes didn't really have anything, like, I thought they would line them with some sort of texture that would protect the dudes from potentially getting cuts or scrapes or... But no, that's part of the glory hole the guy is risking, so... I will tell you, I only did one, and the reason I only did one was because I couldn't wrap my head around it, and I couldn't get into it, so it wasn't sexually stimulating for me at all, and I laughed and was carrying on so much, and the director was taking it so seriously when I first got there and scoped out the whole situation. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, did you know these things? So, leading me back to the conversation in the car with my friends, now whenever I see a mom leave her kids outside, like I used to always see it. Target Woodland Hills. Anybody in California knows the Target Woodland Hills. It's a pretty big one. And I would see moms leave their kids out in the store while they would go into the bathroom. And I used to say to myself, there's got to be a glory hole in there. Why wouldn't they bring their kids in? Why are they letting their kids roam around the store where they could possibly break things, do whatever? So when the glory hole email came in, I was like straight off of that conversation. Had to add that to the email. Wasn't something I was into. Those of you listening right now that are into it, I'm not judging you. You get your, you know, get your freak on, do what you got to do. But I do know that there have been times where I've walked into really shady bathrooms where I was driving cross country or just in a place and I've been worried about holes in the wall and a penis just popping through. So be leery if you like see a movable tissue dispenser inside a stall or even a lot of times it'll be behind where the toilet seat covers are. If you lifted that thing off, there's a hole. Um, The glory holes are around you. Okay, we got one more question here. And again, like I said, with New York City opening on May 19th, I get an email from John that says, when will you be making your next appearance at Cheerleaders Gentlemen Club? We miss you here in Philly. And again, the wild ride begins, everyone thinks. Okay, I'm not going back to dancing. Okay, that's done. But I did get to referee. Uh, for the champagne wrestling contest at cheerleaders in Philly right before the Super Bowl in 2020. If you remember before the world closed down, I traveled for seven weeks straight and one of the events I got to do, I would do that again. But I'm not rushing, jumping into places right just yet, but it's kind of cute that um, the mindset is there. We're going to start doing things again. We're all making our lists. Like what's a priority? What do you really want to do? I really want to referee more champagne wrestling contests at strip clubs. Put that out there to the universe because hopefully the universe will answer. And the universe is going to answer us kind of in person next week because I'll be back from vacation. I hope everybody is doing well, being safe, 
enjoying my podcast. And if you are, you've subscribed. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. Please write a review because they help so much. I'd like to thank my guest, Miles Long. Make sure you give him a follow at Miles Long for real. And also my producer, Chris Tyler. Everybody, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Lisa Ann Experience. The Lee Sand Experience is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Chris Tyler. Sound design by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. SiriusXM Podcasts. <laughs>